Here we are in Nehemiah chapter number 13. Um, Let's go ahead and stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. I'd like to read this passage, say a number of things about it, and then get to the to the message so that we understand, however, what has taken place. We're here in Nehemiah. It was contemporary with Ezra. And they have left a pagan world to return to Jerusalem, to rebuild its walls, rebuild its temple, to do the work of God. And they've seen a great deal of success in that. The walls have been built, the temple, and the Lord seems to have His hand in much of it. But it seems that once they get all of these things accomplished, it seems like they have a a great setback spiritually. And in many ways, I can identify this both with difficulty that I've had even in my own life and with what I see in the overall Christian experience. How many times it seems that we get things in order spiritually and then before we know it, we're right back where we started. And I appreciate the song that was just sung by Brother Louie. We can get so far from Him, but the Lord knows that there are many that make mistakes and great tragedy comes into their lives, but they still have a desire for the heart of God. And God still has a desire to bring them near. But we succeed and fail and succeed and fail. And here we are in Nehemiah chapter number 13. And I'll begin reading in verse number 4. This picks up after much had been accomplished. Uh, The Bible says, And before this, Eliashib, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. Now these words and names will make a little bit more sense here in just a moment, but until then, just stick with the story. Eliashib the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a great chamber, where aforetime they laid the meat offering, the frankincense, and the vessels, and the tithes of the corn, and new wine, and the oil which was commanded to be given to the Levites, and the singers, and porters, and the offerings of the priests. But in all this time was not I, that's Nehemiah, was not I at Jerusalem. For in the two and thirteenth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the kings. He's going back to Babylon, he's leaving Jerusalem. And after certain days obtained I leave of the king. And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. Therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers. And thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense." Father, I thank you for your word and pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of it. Lord, I ask that we would have insight into what took place here and how such an evil thing happened while so much spiritual victory had already occurred. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us to be wise, that we might see the subtle ways of Satan, how they draw us away from you, And Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear from you tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This evening I would like to preach on this topic, the accommodation of evil. The accommodation of evil. Whether we recognize it or not, we are creatures that are prone to make accommodation or care for things that affect us in an evil and a dangerous way. In fact, Ephesians chapter number 4 speaks of this concerning our anger. It says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26, it says, Be ye angry and sin not. In other words, there is such thing as a righteous indignation. There are times when very naturally and justifiably we should be angry. And then it says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. There should be a limitation to that anger. The very next verse says this. It says, neither give place to the devil. And many times we will come to a, a series of spiritual victories in our life just as Nehemiah and Ezra had seen in the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Here they have defied one of the most powerful empires on earth at that time, the Persian Empire, and not in um, revolt, but instead the Lord overthrew the power of Satan in the Persian Empire, and it was the king himself who helped supply some of the rights and the materials to rebuild that wall, as well as the temple. It was a glorious thing as God overthrew the powers of Satan. And I tell you, there is nothing more exciting in the spirit spiritual life than to know that God is moving kingdoms and powers and principalities to make a way that we might follow him in righteousness. And I get thrilled whenever I see the hand of God moving. And Nehemiah and Ezra were in that place. And they had seen God provide for this building. They had seen God wipe away the enemies of the time. They had seen God do miraculous works. And as Ezra begins to read from the scroll and the people are worshiping God and they're celebrating the feasts and the, and the observances that were set in order for them to do the the people didn't speak a word, but instead they stood out of recognition of the holy God. It would be fair to say that these people in Nehemiah chapter 13 as well as in Ezra were on the back end of revival. They had experienced a movement of God. They had experienced revival. They were closer to the Lord than they had been in a long time. And then right on the heels of that revival, we see evil take hold. And as I titled the message tonight, I was thinking that this is what we so often do, which takes all of that work of spiritual victory and ultimately spoils it. As we begin by making accommodations for evil. And the word accommodation could be misunderstood, so let me define it for you as Merriam-Webster saw fit. Their dictionary said that accommodation is something supplied for convenience 
or to satisfy need. So I thought, what better way to do this than to perhaps illustrate an act of accommodation. I, I believe that we have a very accommodating church here. By the way, I want to thank you for that. I think that if we are going to have the Spirit of Christ in this place, we ought to welcome every visitor. You know, as I've said, I'll keep saying it, everyone should feel welcome in church, although not everyone should feel comfortable. It should not be, however, our cold-hearted, unwelcoming, ownership spirit that makes people uncomfortable. No, they should feel welcomed by our kindness, our hospitality, our gracious spirit. But what should make us all uncomfortable is when the Word of God confronts our hearts and the Spirit of God convicts our soul. And too many churches, and I pray it's never the case here at Valley View, it is the harshness of its people that make this place uncomfortable and not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I'm thankful for the accommodating and welcoming atmosphere that we have here. I spoke with a couple this morning that was made very uncomfortable at a few other churches. And there's some fantastic churches in this area, so I'm sure they were talking about churches in some other area. Just so you know, I'm not picking on anybody. But they spoke so highly of the welcoming and warm spirit here. We like to make accommodation for people. Eli, won't you go on and come up? I would like you to feel welcome on this stage. And if you would just have a seat right, right here. It feels good, doesn't it? it? feels good. Those people, they're in hard pews. I want you to be comfortable. I want you to be... Your feet tired? Let me give you a foot massage. No, I'm kidding. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that accommodating. But by, by all means, Eli, just, I mean, just make yourself at home. Prop your feet up. You, you thirsty? You thirsty? Here, let me, I'd, I'd hate for you to spill any of this on that nice Sunday attire you've got there. Um, <laughs> good friend. Um, once you go, just... Uh, is that to your liking? Yes, oh, good. Okay, here, let me... I don't want you to spill. Here, I'll just set this right here. If you need it, I mean, any time, just, you just get a drink of water there. You know, it's a little cool in here. I notice you got a, a sweater. Um, here, let me... I mean... I don't know if you all knew this, but my wife loves blankets. And she buys blankets when they're needed. Which is all the time. You just seem a little cool, so if I could just make you feel. <laughs> Are the lights a little bright? A little bit? Because I. If you wanted to take a nap, no, some of them take naps, and I know who you are, and I won't embarrass you, I won't point you out, and um, you could use one of these, but would you like, would you like a, a, a little, uh... now you just rest your, your little head, and, uh... ah, man, I'm kind of jealous, <laughs> 
Some of you are too. <laughs> I wish Pastor Jared would have chosen me. Accommodation. We like accommodating people. And, and we should. In fact, there's a, a noble and, and spiritual command to care for those and to, 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 to be a, a friend and to, to make sure that the weary passerby is, is greeted with hospitality and, 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 and is always met with a warm welcome and, and love in the name of Christ. That is a virtue that we must hold on to. However, with every gift of accommodation that we have, we must also be careful that we are accommodating only for the right things. And as we will see here in just a moment, sometimes we get to a place where we will make comfortable and make accommodation for evil. And the tragedy here in Nehemiah, pay attention, you probably need this. Um, the, the trouble here in Nehemiah is that they had just come off of this incredible movement of God, this revival, and, and, and right on the heels of that, Satan doesn't show up with a big bad pitchfork and flaming fire. He doesn't show up with vexation of soul. But instead, he appeals to the accommodating, the loving, the compassionate nature of those people there that had now rebuilt this wonderful city. And their problem is that they made accommodation for the wrong thing. And now, lest you're a distraction to us for the rest of this message, you can go sit back down, you swan... I'm kidding. You're not a swan. You can keep the water, though. That's, that's yours. I don't want to drink after you. Thank you, Pastor Jordan. He's very accommodating, isn't he? See, it's crazy. I don't know if you knew this, but by the time we get to the end of Nehemiah and the end of Ezra, things are in a very bad shape spiritually in Israel. In fact, this might seem a little bit humorous to you, but both of them are pulling hair out. Literally pulling hair out by the end of the books. In fact, um, Nehemiah, uh, not Nehemiah, but Ezra, he is pulling his own hair out. Ezra chapter 9, it's the second to last chapter in the book. In verse 3 it says, And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle, and I plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard. And then Nehemiah, he's not pulling his own hair out, he's actually pulling other people's hair out. Nehemiah 13, in verse number 25, he says, And I contended with them, and cursed them, and smote certain of them. Aren't you glad he's not your pastor? Right? And then listen to this. And plucked off their hair. Could you imagine that? Ezra. Well, I can't take it anymore. These people. Nehemiah. You've lost your mind. Ripping their hair out. Like they got to make a movie about that. <laughs> And we have these men, these spiritual men who had a vision for what God could do and, and the Lord used them in an incredible way. 
How is it that by the end of both of those books, they're ripping hair out? That the spiritual condition was so bad, it could be described as the opposite of revival, which is what those books were intended to, to signify and be about, the returning to what God had promised for His people. It's because along the way, there was some accommodation made for evil. And I've made a few observations about this story that in a very... I just want to be practical with you tonight. And, and I made some observations about this story that seem to be so true for the spiritual condition and the accommodation that we make for evil. You say, I make accommodation for evil? Yes, we do. The first observation that I made is this is that an accommodation for evil was made, number one, when personal liberty was at its peak. Look with me in verse number four. In verse number four, the Bible says, And before this, Eliashib who is the high priest, before this, Eliashib, the priest, notice this phrase, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God was allied unto Tobiah. Now, let me make some clarifications here so that you understand. That Tobiah was good friends with another man at the beginning of this book named Sanballat. And, and we're going to look at these two men in just a moment. But you need to understand that Tobiah and Sanballat were wicked and evil men. They were men that conspired to destroy the Jews. They were those who mocked the Jews. They were those who tried to convince the other powers that be to attack the Jews and to destroy the work that God was doing. It does not get any more wicked than Tobiah and Sanballat in this story. They are the Goliath on the battlefield, so to speak. Uh, they are the Jezebel in Ahab's life, so to speak. They were wicked men. And here we have Eliashib, the priest, who was given the oversight of this new temple that had just been constructed. And the chambers which were housing the priests and the, the Levites and the others. And what had happened is that Eliashib, when Nehemiah went all the way back to Babylon, he was given the oversight and he cleared out a whole space, a large space, the Bible says. In fact, look with me in, in verse number 5. And he had prepared for him, that is Eliashib, had prepared for Tobiah, Eliashib the priest, Tobiah the wicked man, had prepared for him a great chamber. A huge apartment where aforetime they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense and the vessels and the tithes of the corn and the new wine and the oil which was commanded to be given to the Levites, that's the priests, and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priests. And the very next verse says, in verse 6, it says, But in all this time was not I, that's Nehemiah, at Jerusalem. In other words, this was the peak of Eliashib the priests, it was the peak of his personal liberty. The peak of his personal liberty. Now, if you've been around me for very long, you know that I am red, white, and blue. I love life, 
liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I, during this whole COVID thing, one of the things that just got under my skin the most was the attack on personal liberty. Now, I don't want to be controversial. I'm not trying to dive into all that. I'm simply saying this. Do not misunderstand me. I think liberty is a wonderful thing. In fact, that's one of the reasons I'm a Baptist. The Baptist church believes that what the Bible says about individual soul liberty, that you answer to God, and it's not my job to get in between that. I answer to God, and it's not your job to get in between that. I have liberty between me and the Lord to follow Him, and it is no one else's job to impede that. So do not misunderstand what I'm about to say. I am a massive proponent of personal liberty. But what I'm also warning about is that the more liberty we have, the more accommodation we can make for evil. Can I illustrate it this way? I've got three daughters, and you all know that because I mention it all the time and because they're sitting here in the sanctuary. And they are under the ironclad thumb of their mother. <laughs> You'll find me dangling on their pinkies. <laughs> can I play with you girls? They have very little liberty. But there is going to come a day where they're going to have to make personal decisions about where to live and what to do and what to be. And it is at those moments in which we have personal liberty in which we are the most danger of making an accommodation in our life for evil. Some of you may be here this evening and as you moved out of your parents' house and not yet married now or recently married, you have very little accountability outside of your own decisions. You have your own new home and you might not have any children or perhaps you do but no one is having oversight over you and just as Eliashib had oversight over the house of God and no one was overseeing him because Nehemiah was out of town, he was able to do whatever he wanted and I'm simply saying this, please be warned that liberty is not a bad thing, but it can be a dangerous thing. Parachuting is not a bad thing. I love it. But it can be a dangerous thing. And we must be so careful in what liberties we take with liberty. And we might not want to grow up just as our parents did. But we ought to be so cautious and so careful not to remove those ancient landmarks. Uh, those guiding posts that our parents gave us. Those things that our Sunday school teachers and pastors of our past and present have put forth for us to be as a guideline to stay away from. Uh, we have a constant fluctuation of standards uh, within ourselves as we uh, become accountable to God only and we must decide for ourselves what those standards will be. And I'm simply saying this, that the more liberty we have, the more accommodation we tend to make for evil. And I'm not getting on anyone tonight. But as your pastor, like a shepherd watching over sheep, sometimes I look at those 
adolescent sheep ready to test new boundaries. And yeah, they've got a decent head on their sheepish shoulders. But I see the direction they're looking and I think, oh, be careful with that liberty. The next thing that I observe from this passage is that Eliashib not only does he make accommodation for evil when personal liberty was at its peak, but the next observation that I make is that he had the wrong allies. Why did he make this accommodation for this wicked man, Tobiah? How do we get to a place where the high priest is clearing out the vessels which are supposed to be used in the temple, clearing them out of a room so that this evil man, Tobiah, can have a place to come and and comfortably stay? How did we get to that point? Because he had the wrong allies. Look with me at verse number 4. The Bible says, And before this, Eliashib, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber, chamber of the house of God, notice this phrase, was allied unto Tobiah. Now, I, I, I don't have time to go into all the reasons why he was allied, but I will say this, that influence is a powerful, powerful thing. It is dangerously powerful. And people have more influence on you than you think. I know what you're thinking. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. You liar. They might not tell you what to do, but our actions so much are influenced by the company that we keep. Why does the Bible warn us that the fear of man bringeth a snare? It's because we are concerned what other people think about us. And I say this sometimes, well, I don't care what they think. I'm usually lying because I do care to some degree. Now, I might not dictate my actions because of how they think, but I sure do wish everybody just liked me. And because of that, which is so natural in us, we have to be very careful about who we put ourselves in allegiance to. In in fact, whenever I look at this passage and I I see what's going on here, I I notice that the Bible does give us some insight into this this ally that, that the priest has with Tobiah. And here's the thing about it, that the priest is a good man. In fact, in in Nehemiah um, chapter number 3, verse number 1, the Bible says this about Eliashib. It says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. Eliashib, he was a worker. He was not a lazy man. He was was putting his hands to the work. Not only was he a worker, but Eliashib, he was a leader. He was used to the power of influence. That's why the Bible says that he he took those brethren that were with him, and it says that they builded the sheep gate. He was influencing them in a glorious way, in a wonderful way, as they're rebuilding this wall. And then it says this about Eliashib in Nehemiah 3.1. It says, after they builded the sheep gate, which was one of the entrances into Jerusalem, then it said, and they sanctified it. You know what that means? Is that Eliashib did understand. To sanctify means to set something apart for God's use. That's what to sanctify means. 
We sanctify this sanctuary. Because this sanctuary is to be used of God. This isn't our living room. This is God's house. These are not our pews. These belong to the Lord. So we sanctify them. We set them apart and we say, you know what? We're not going to use this sanctuary for just anything. We're not really going to have social gatherings in this sanctuary. No, this is meant for the worship of our God. And Eliashib understood the difference. He understood that, that some things need to be set apart for God's use. And when they built that sheep gate in Nehemiah chapter 3, he gathers his brethren together. And after they built it, it said they sanctified it and set up the doors of it, even to the tower of Mia. In other words, uh, even to the full completion of his task on that wall. And then they sanctified it unto the tower of Hanaliel. So he knew the difference between things that were common and things that were holy. Eliashib was a lot like you and I. He knew what was right and he did the right thing. But when he got around the wrong people, it impacted him. Now, like I said just a moment ago, I, I can't take time to go into all the reasons why I believe he was allied to Tobiah, but I will say this. I believe that he was part of Tobiah's family. And Tobiah was part of his family. The reason that I come to that conclusion, we learn in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse number 28. You see, the issue at the time was some of the Israelites were marrying into the pagan cultures. And you had a pagan wife with a Jewish husband or a, a pagan husband with a Jewish wife. And, and it was impacting their worship and the purity of their worship of God. And, and it was a major issue and was pulling away from what God intended that nation to be. And, and what happened was that even some some of Eliashib's family married into those pagan roots. And that was the same thing that was happening in the, that the book of Ezra describes to us, which is why in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse number 28, we read, And one of the sons of Joiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law to Sanballat the Heronite. Therefore, I chased him from me. That's Nehemiah chasing him away. Remember how I said there were two great enemies, Tobiah and Sanballat. And I believe that they had some sort of family relation as well. So here we have the high priest. And the high priest, his grandson is married to the daughter of Sanballat. So somehow I believe he's married into the family of Tobiah. And here it is. I can, I can picture it. They're trying to be peaceful. You know, have a good Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> And not argue about everything. And Tobiah's sitting down at the table and he looks across at Elisha and says, you know, I come to Jerusalem pretty often. And aren't you overseeing the, the chambers there, the temple? Hey, what are those used for, Elisha? Well, you know, those are used for the, 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 the furniture there and the instruments and the implements of the temple and, and then the priests can reside there as well. And I can just see Tobiah with this wicked grin on his face, look up, knowing exactly what he's doing and he begins to exploit his relationship with the high priest. He said, you know, I come to Jerusalem a lot. Is there any way that, you know, I might be able to find a place to stay? Elisha, well, you know, maybe, 
you know, yeah, may, may, maybe we could make accommodation for you. Trying to be hospitable. It's hard for me to be too upset at Eliashib. But it's equally difficult for me to be too forgiving as well. Because whether knowingly or unknowingly, he made an accommodation for evil which brought a great reproach upon the whole people. And here it was, Tobiah, he had allied himself when really Tobiah was an enemy. And sometimes we don't do the best job at finding out who the real enemies are because they don't always come breathing fire and tossing pitchforks. Sometimes they come in a very meek and seemingly lowly sort of way. And we've got to be more aware of the Tobias in our own life. That we have to be aware, and I'm not saying to be unkind to them, because Eliashib could have very respectfully said, No, Tobiah, that is sanctified for the Lord. And could have respectfully done that. But we can be so accommodating at times for evil in our life. And this is going to be a message all on its own. But I give you just a number of things quickly, how to recognize an enemy that you don't need to accommodate. You see, Tobiah, first off, was critical of the work of God. We see in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse number 3, the Bible says concerning Tobiah the Ammonite, that he was by him and said, even that which they built, in other words, he's talking about when they're building the walls initially, he starts being critical of the work. He says, if a fox, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Remember, they're building the walls, and Tobiah's over there with his hands in the pocket saying, Ha! Fox will walk up on that. Your stone wall is going to tumble down. This furry little lightweight desert creature is going to tumble your stones. You know what? We make way too much accommodation for critical people. We do. We listen to their criticism about our God. We accommodate their criticism about His church. We listen to their critical nature as they try to pick apart everything that's happening um, in the, with the work of God or at the house of God. We turn on the TV and we make far too much accommodation for those who wickedly criticize uh, the people that desire to honor God with their lives. You want to know where to find an enemy that you don't need to make accommodation for in your life, it, are, it is those who are constantly critical of the work of God. And I'll go through this at another time, but people that are critical of God's own people, people that always are keeping company with those who have nothing to do with the Lord. There's a point in Tobiah's life in, in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse number 7 where they become wroth and upset because God's work is being done. And we are so apt to make accommodation for evil when we have a height of liberty I observe that in this and also in our life that when we make the wrong allies we are in a dangerous place of making accommodation for evil. There's a couple others that I'd like to point out. The next one that I see is that we tend to make accommodation for evil when convenience outweighs reverence. Look at this and we 
Oh, we can be so guilty of this. Look at, look at verse number 5. Verse number 5 says this. It says, it says and, and he had prepared for him a great chamber. This thing was big. It's called a great chamber. Where aforetime they laid the meat offering. That's where they put the offerings uh, there that were brought into the tabernacle. And the frankincense were part of that offering system. And the vessels and the tithes of corn and new wine and oil. Uh, which was commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the potters and the offerings of the priests. And you know what? All of that, all of that took work to do. And here it was so easy for this priest to make accommodation for evil because his convenience outweighed his reverence for God. It was way easier for him to not ruffle Tobias' feathers and say, no, 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 yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll take care of that need than it was to remember the reverence that we should have for God. I'll be honest, church, this is something that we're losing in this nation. A reverence for God. It seems like much of the Old Testament was written, whether it was the laws, the ordinances, their commandments, their statutes, it was all central around this idea that before a holy God, we bow and we give reverence and we worship Him. That the things of God are holy and the things sanctified for His purpose should not be used for anything else. And as a result of this, while Nehemiah is away, it seems like a plague. Convenience began to outweigh reverence all over Jerusalem. In fact, look at verse number 15 of this same chapter. Uh, look at what's taking place. In those days... Saul I Jude, in other words, Nehemiah, he comes back and he's wondering, what's going on? Why is so much change? And he comes back and he says, in those days saw I Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses and also wine, grapes and figs and all manner of burdens. You see, they were told not to labor on the Sabbath. And here they are doing whatever they want. Why? Because their convenience outweighed their reverence. We see it in verse number 10 of this same chapter as well. In verse 10 it says, And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. Why didn't the Levites get their portions? For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled, everyone to his field. You see, the Levites were supposed to be provided by those offerings that were coming into the temple. It was not for them to take care of fields and to labor in that way. For the Lord was supposed to be their inheritance and their heritage. And now they're out in their own fields. Why? Because convenience was more important to them than reverencing what God had commanded them to do. I see this so frequently that we will make accommodation for evil especially when it is convenient for us. And where did the fear of the Lord go? Where did our concern for holy God disappear to? Oh, may God help us. You know, I, I am convinced that revival only comes by repentance. 
Revival only comes when we realize how bad off we really are. Revival only comes when we, as Isaiah did, lift up our eyes and see Him high and holy and lifted up and we realize how far away from God we have become. And we are so guilty of taking the things of God and making them so common. And we come into the presence of God and act like it's just some other routine or some other, um, some other um, act of of obeisance that we do but no when we come into the place of a holy God we are coming into the same place of God where he was the one who created heaven and earth he is the one that will judge all things he is the one that began it he is the one that will end it he is God and besides him is none else and when something is set aside for the purpose of God may we reverence it may we consider it holy and not common when we pick up this word may we realize that we are reading what God has breathed oh did it not collect dust on the shelf or be cast aside when we read its commands and realize that we are not in obedience to them may we fall under conviction and if not may we ask why for we will make accommodation for evil when convenience outweighs reverence and then lastly I'll say this We will make accommodation for evil when there's no confrontation of the Spirit. You know what I don't see in this whole story? It doesn't seem like any of these people get convicted by the Holy Spirit of God. Eliashib, the high priest, he doesn't take matters into his own hand and and correct this behavior because he realized he's serving a holy God and he's messed up? The other priests who've gone out to the field when Nehemiah shows up, they're still out at the field. Why is that? How could someone do something and be a part of something so wicked and not feel conviction of the Holy Spirit of God? I'll tell you why. It's because they're not walking with God. They're not walking with God. Oh, and yes, we can come into church Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and punch our Baptist card and say, well, I'm good with God. Oh, but God deserves much more than that. Oh, we ought to walk with Him. We ought to wake with Him. We ought to weep with Him. We ought to praise Him. We ought to study Him. We ought to love Him. We ought to follow Him. Oh, we ought to be so close to Jesus that as soon as His foot lifts, our steps in because we're following every step of the Lord Jesus Christ as He leads us along the way. Oh, I would imagine that for some of us, it's been so long since we've been near to the Lord, we forgot forgot what his voice sounds like we forgot what conviction feels like oh the bible says we could taste and see that the lord is good but for some of us we have not tasted in so long that we have lost our taste for it we have satisfied our taste on so many cheap things cheap things of the world 
We have satisfied our taste on our hobbies and our recreation. And, and I am not against families. I love mine. But a family should never take place of our God. And we have satisfied our taste for God with so many other things. And we can't taste and see because we're so far away. We wonder, where is God gone? And when we look, we have walked so far away that we've lost sight of Him over the horizon. And as I look at this story and I see this accommodation of evil and I make some observations about it, I see that it can begin with such small things. Oh, I stepped away from the Lord for just a moment. Oh, I stepped away from the Lord for just an hour, just a day, just a week, just a month, just a year. And before we know it, we're wondering, where is God? Before we know it, we're asking, is there a God? And how does all that begin? It begins by making just a little bit of accommodation for evil. And the Bible tells us, neither give place to the devil. And maybe you've giving, been giving place to many different things in your life and you didn't really realize it but the devil has used it, hasn't he? You thought you were just giving place to, oh, it's my career. It's my career. Well, you know, I know, I know, I know, I know, Pastor Jerry, but, but I got this, this going on. And after, you know, maybe after this season or that season, well, it's summer and, you know, summer's busy. And well, I'm in, I'm in school and if I could, if I could just get, get school behind me. And, well, you know, I just got married, Pastor Jerry. We're really trying to get, get ourselves settled and get things, you know, together in the home. Look, I know, and you can give place and accommodation to so many different things and not even realize how it's being used to draw you away and draw you away and draw you away and draw you away until it's been so long since you've heard His voice that you wouldn't be able to recognize it if God was yelling at you. And as lovingly as I could say, let's open our eyes. And if the Lord would permit me to be a little bit of Nehemiah, I'm not going to rip out your hair. <laughs> but if I could, with words of compassion, say, look what's happening. Beware. Your adversary is there. He doesn't fight fair. And he doesn't always come with a red cape. And let's be careful not to make accommodation, not even a little, for evil.